Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to Kevin Kenrick, CEO of TVNZ. Kevin's currently CEO of TVNZ and has led the state broadcaster through a significant period of digital evolution, managing its transition from a free-to-air offering to its highly successful multi-platform offering, including TVNZ On Demand. He held the role of CEO of House of Travel from 2008 to 2011, and prior to that was Chief Operating Officer at Telecom NZ. Before that, Kevin worked as a marketer with roles at a number of organisations, culminating in his almost six-year stint as National Marketing Director at Lion. Today, as well as running our state broadcaster, Kevin also serves on the boards of BNZ and Good George Brewing. So let's hear about Kevin's journey so far and the role marketing has played in that. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks. So so looking back on your career, what do you think the, the common thread of all of those roles would be, if any? Well, the thing that's driven me has been the learning and the challenge. And so I've kind of just gravitated from one to the next, um, hungry to learn more mm. and really keen to challenge myself to to have a crack at something. You know? And that's that's really been the motivation. And as, as a marketer, did you find it hard to um, broaden into other parts of the business or was it a natural transition for you? Um it just kind of happened, and, and, and to a certain extent it happened because I was an opinionated marketer and I was <laughs> telling the CEO at the time about what I thought we should be doing differently. Yeah. And she said, okay, well, how about you get in there and do it then? Yeah, um, right. So before before I knew it, next thing I was I was responsible for more than just marketing. Mm. And, you know, and, and I was forced to, to learn and to step up. And what, what do you think is good and bad about marketers going into other areas of the business? Because it's something that doesn't happen that often, isn't it? Well, I think the at, at the heart of what I think makes for a great marketer also makes for a really good business person. And, and that's to be focused on understanding what are the needs of your customer. And I think all too often, you know, marketers end up um, – maybe looking at the tail end of things in terms of promotion and communications. But I think at the heart of it um, is who is the customer, what are their needs, and how can you go about meeting those, which I think is universally true for pretty much any business. So so if you look back over the years, what are some of the ways that you've got close to your customer to understand exactly how they feel about your brand or your, your product? Well, I think there's there's no substitute for spending time engaging with customers. And yeah. I think that... Um, you know, this, this separation between sales and marketing is actually unhelpful because they're one mm. and the same. And, and I think when you, when you front up and you have conversations and you listen to your customers, that's how you learn. And, I mean, I, I started my first role out of university was in market research. Right. And so I, I, I did a lot of, you know, work around how do you understand customers. But I think there's no substitute for you personally going and having that conversation and learning directly. And is that something you encourage your teams to do? Yeah, well, because I think there's the more layers you put between you and the person that's paying for your products or services, the, yeah. the more filtered the, the your understanding of what's going on. I, I think yeah. whoever's paying tends to be pretty brutally honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And so, so let's talk about sales and marketing because you said they're you know they're kind of two sides of the same coin. How do you, as a business leader, make sure that those those two work in sync? Well, I think the first thing is to understand that they're not separate. Um, so I think organisations that set these up as separate functions mm. um, actually forces things into how does it work for our organisation versus how does it work for our customer. Um, the the distinction when I, when I have seen them split out, I think the cleanest separation or distinction that I've seen um, was an organisation that said the role of marketing was to stimulate demand, mm-hmm. and the role of sales was to convert that that demand into yeah. into, into sales. And they had very clear metrics around that, mm. but also they were ultimately measured on sales. And the lines blur. I mean, when you look at like you know TVNZ on demand, the product design has as much of an impact in the revenue as a, as an individual salesperson, right? Well, of course it does. And and I think that um, too often you know you'll get a function in an organisation, and and it's all about well look what we've achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in in the TV business, the worst thing you can have is a black screen. Um, you know, and and all the people who are doing the work all the way through the process to ensure that doesn't happen and who can fix it when it does happen, yep. um, they're the ones who become the unsung heroes. And in fact, the on a bad day, you only notice them when something goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How true. How true. So, okay, so if, if, if you cast your mind back over, over the years, let's, let's say, let's look at Lion. Mm. What did you learn about the customer and marketing back at Lion? Um, the... the key thing I learned from Lion was about the power of branding. Um, and I think that Lion was and, and continues to be a, a very strongly brand-driven organisation. Mm. And and I think it was all about the value of a brand in the eyes of the consumer and not wanting to be in a commodity business but adding value in such a way that the consumer would willingly pay more for it. And you know, and I, I looked at Lion's portfolio of brands and you know in, in in many respects you know you can imagine someone sitting in a bar in the wee hours of the morning with an unbranded glass and not making a hell of a lot of distinction between the taste of one versus yep. another yep. and what they're actually drinking is yeah. the brand yes and what they're paying a premium for is what that brand says about them and how they relate to it and how it makes them feel so so what do you think um big businesses know that small businesses don't about brand um, I guess if I, if I was being flippant, I'd say big businesses know how to spend a lot of money, um, <laughs> yeah. and and look, and this 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 there's something in that really because I think corporates typically employ people who don't have the same amount of skin in the game as an owner operator or a, mm. a business where you've got some ownership in the business yes. where x many cents in every dollar you spend is yours personally. Yep. So I I do. When I, when I went to House of Travel and, and, and I had you know some shareholding in that business, I came away from that thinking everyone in a corporate environment should spend some time in a private business and should have some skin in the game because you'll make better decisions. Um, but one of, the, one of the things I think the larger an organisation is the more that there's an expectation that you will make a bigger sale. And so you expect and therefore you ask for a bigger sale and... I remember in the early days of Yahoo Extra, um, our 
one of our one of our big challenges was being courageous enough to ask for a bigger share of the campaign. Whereas when we started, we were all, you know, there was all the media that was being allocated, and if we got ten percent of it, then we kind of felt yeah. that we were in the game. Yes, and and so I think that bigger organisations expect more mm. and expect more of themselves, and therefore they ask for more. And so, what what do you think smaller organisations can can learn about that in terms of how, you know, the brand fuels the salespeople? Well, I think the the critical thing is to avoid negotiating with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and and I think too often it's easy to listen to that voice inside your head and and and, and second guess um, about what value you can offer. And if you can focus on solving a customer's pain point, then you're adding enormous value. If you're just selling your product or service, then less so. And and quite often, the value of solving a big business problem is significantly greater than what you might have otherwise sold a product or service for. So, so what do you see as the as the secret to successful sales teams? Because it's interesting. You know, I've seen lots in the past go and turn up with a list of products and say, "Which one would you like?" And, and others be more consultative and understand business problems. So, what what do you think are the secret to successful sales strategies and teams? Well, I think the first thing is a great salesperson is a really good listener. And and I think you have to earn the right to make a sale. And, and the way you earn that is by listening to the customer and understanding what is the problem they're trying to solve. Um, and, and if you really understand that, mm. and if you're in a position that you can contribute to solving that, then, I mean, the customer's going to give you as much time as you want. But if you're peddling your wares yep. and it's not linked to solving their problem or you haven't listened to their problem, then they'll want to shuffle you out the door as quickly as they can yeah, to get yeah. back to solving that problem because that's that's what really matters to them. And could be could the same be said for marketing in terms of the consumer? Yeah, I, I think the, the the interesting thing when I when I go right back to my early days of market research, I think there's a big difference to thinking about customers and thinking like customers. Okay. So when you were thinking about them, you can analyze and sort of go, they think this and this, you know, and here's what they want and, and observe behavior. But I think if you think like a customer and try and put yourself in the shoes of their, their day mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and understand where you fit in their day, right. people are busy. People are not looking for an opportunity to read or watch your ad mm, or to mm. engage with you. Um, they've got enough on their plate as it is. Yep. So you've got to earn your right to to actually get some of their attention. And so I think that when you start to think like a customer, that actually helps you understand when is a relevant time for you to talk, how is a time to engage, um, and when is a time that you're not wanted, and you know you should butt out? How do you how do you keep your view and your mind on the customer? Because for you, for example, you see TVNZ every single day. You see your branding, your logos. Your customers don't. So, what's the role of um, I suppose external partners in bringing that thinking to you? Well, I think the the balance between what you do internally and externally. Um, First and foremost, you want the best people working on your business. Yeah. And 
and and I and I also think there's enormous value in getting an external lens on things because those of us who are in businesses, it's it's not an ambivalent undertaking, you know. So we tend to be really passionate about it, and and so therefore we get more engaged and more involved in it than any customer ever will. Yeah, you know, yeah. because it's such a big, it's all encompassing for mm, us, mm. and and an external. Com- person can actually put some context around that you know you're not solving world hunger you might be feeding a few mouths but you know kind of get it in context but I think the other critical thing is never to outsource your competitive advantage Mm -hmm. so if it's a source of competitive advantage you want to retain that IP and you want to build and enhance it and protect it Um, if you outsource that then you've got a tenuous ownership and relationship with it and then it could be taken somewhere else so, so you've worked with a number of different agencies and creative partners over the years in, in your in your marketing roles. What did you find um, worked? You know, what were the, what were the tips to successful enduring relationships there? Um, I, th- I I was fortunate enough very early on in the piece that I worked with some brilliant creative agencies who actually coached and taught me. Um, and taught me about what great work looks like, and and I think that the the challenge that you have is a creative idea um, is something the most powerful ones are going to be original, and therefore they haven't necessarily been seen before, and you can't say therefore what went before will make this you know prove itself, yes. um, and and also they have an emotive impact, and I think too often. Um, marketers will go through this process and they'll write a very analytical brief. And and I think the process of coming up with a creative idea is a very intuitive one. Mm. And so you've got to be prepared to revel in that space and to value those skills and to trust the individuals that are doing that. And how do you get your peers um, you know, around around the table on board with that approach? Because that's quite different to... You know, other decision-making processes that might be a bit more empirical or you know, stats-focused. How do you do that as a marketer? Yeah, well, I I do think you know that you know, and it's a it's a bit of a cliched saying, right? You know that um, not everything that matters can be measured, and not everything that can be measured matters. Yes, and I think that's very true. And I think the challenge for marketing is being courageous enough to back something based on a really strong insight about the customer mm. and a belief about how you can make a difference. Um, whereas I think it's too easy to measure and prove that you weren't wrong versus yep. Yep. actually having a crack at something that might be really quite spectacular. And and if you come back to the busy lives of consumers, what's happened is as humans we are being bombarded with more and more stimulus. And the volume of things that are that are actually coming at us is really high. The brain hasn't grown during that period of time, but what we've got very good at is filtering. Right. So consumers are brilliant at finding opportunities to filter things out mm-hmm. and to ignore it and to deflect. Yeah. And so first and foremost as a marketer, you need to grab the consumer's attention. And and so you can have something that is rationally right but emotionally wrong. So you'll grab attention through emotion. 
And if you've got that attention, you then get the opportunity to put forward your message, which might be rational and logical. But if you don't get the attention, it doesn't matter how strategically sound it is, no one's going to notice. They're just going to ignore it and move on. So, so how have you gone about building a culture where you know, taking those those creative risks is acceptable? How have you, you know, dealt with scepticism from, from uh, peers and others in, the, in businesses you've worked for? Well, the, the role at TVNZ has actually been great to, to really put a spotlight on that because when I, when I first joined, I went, to, I went to LA and you've got all the Hollywood studios and they're coming up with all their new shows. Yeah. And, and then I was told that 90% of the new shows from last season had been cancelled. So 90%. Yeah. So there was a 90% failure rate. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Um, and yet the shows that did succeed mm. succeeded on such a scale that the studios were, they did a TV series, they sold merchandise, they right, had right, music right. rights. Yeah. You know, it could end up going into a feature film mm -hmm. or into a Broadway show or, yes. you know, so the big ones were really, really big. And, and, and I guess the the insight there is you won't succeed with all creative endeavor. Um, and and you've got to be prepared to accept that this is not a game of perfect, that they won't all succeed, but you, you've, there's a continuum and at one end is safe and at the other end is brave. And if you play safe, the consumer doesn't care, you know? It just doesn't cut through. It's not relevant enough. It doesn't cut through the boredom factor or the noise of everything else. Yeah. So you've got to make some big swings. You've you've got to be brave, and with that, you have to accept that some of them will fail, and that's okay. You know, um, I think that's called learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's talk about some times that you've learned. Let's talk about mm -hmm. some marketing or sales um, initiatives or activities that you've done in the past. Maybe one one that's gone really well and one that hasn't gone so well. Um, well, I, I do believe that we learn more from our failures than our successes, and and I think that's just because it hurts, and and and, and so you and, and it sits with you. Um, and years ago, when I was at Lion, we were looking at some packaging innovations around cans, right. and there was cans at those times came in a corrugated cardboard tray. And there were six packs that were held together by plastic rings. Okay. And there was this new feature where you could have this fully enclosed wrapped six pack. And as a brand guy, I thought this was brilliant, you know, because we could wrap our branding around totally. it and it would be hygienic and it would give us point of, give us impact at point of mm. presence and in, in, in store and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but what I'd missed was the way that people were actually buying. And so people would sometimes say, well, I want three cans, so I'll just rip three out of the plastic and I'll take three. Right. Or I'll grab – so people could say, I'll take 24. I might want 18. I might want 10. Um, so it was infinitely flexible mm. for the consumer. Yes. And they really valued that. And here was me thinking about how great it would look in store yeah, yeah, yeah. and the brand impact yep. and assuming that everyone wanted to buy in lots of sixes. And we started losing sales. Right. And we had dissatisfied customers saying, well, this doesn't work for me. Mm. And 
And it was a really salutary reminder of thinking about a customer, yes, not thinking like a customer, and not actually watching and seeing how people actually use the product and how they bought it. And it was like, wow. Um, so that was that was a reminder of you know the need to listen and to observe. Yep. Um, yep. yep. I. I, I do give credit to my boss at the time who wasn't as convinced as I was, but actually let me have a go mm. um, and let me make the mistake and to learn from that. He could have given it the big I told you so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but didn't need to, right? Because the, the message had been, had, had been felt really, really keenly. But, but also uh, had he done that, you, you wouldn't have been as brave in the future to try new initiatives and try new things. Yeah, and, and I think... Um, you know, you've you've got to be prepared to to have a have a big enough impact that it might be wrong, and and if and if not, then go again. Um, yep. And and so I think a big part of how we build courageous marketers is is, is by backing them and giving people giving people their head and the chance to have a go, mm. and and encouraging them to keep on striving for something that's going to make a big impact. And so, so what, what? If you look back on your career, what would be something that you're really proud of? Something that went fantastically well? Well, I, I tend to be someone who's always looking forward. So I, I'd like to think my, that my best work is still in front of me. <laughs> um, and, and in part, it was, it was driven by a conversation I had years ago with um, an amazing exec creative guy at Saatchi's in Wellington, Kim Thorpe. Mm. And, and, and when I said before I got to work with some great creatives and they, they challenged and taught me about what great work was, one of the things that Kim said at the time is, um, imagine that on your CV you can write the three best things you've ever done. And now consider that the thing that you're working on right now has to replace one of those three. Mm. Are you strengthening and enhancing your CV or are you detracting from it? You know, so is it one of the best three things you've ever done? Yes. And and like and he told me that decades ago and it and it still resonates with me today. And I think it's a it's a really, really simple but a really powerful way to think about is good good enough, you know, and what we're trying to achieve. And so so who who else have you worked with over the years that's had a real impact on you and on your thinking? I mean, I've been fortunate enough to work with some super smart people and some really generous people who've who've actually taught me a lot. Mm. Um, I mean, one who is sort of top of mind for me right now, and and it's unfortunately because he recently passed away, is Tony Marks. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tony was the head of marketing at Carter Holt Harvey in my first job at a university, and he. I was working in the market research team, but I'd sort of kept in touch with them over the years. And you know, and Tony was uh, one of the execs at Ian New Zealand. He was the CEO of Zespri. Right. Um, he was on the on the board at House of Travel when I was there, but he was a marketer through and through, um, a very accomplished business guy, but always a marketer. Mm. And and I think after his executive days were over. He was doing a lot of um, 
directorships where he was working in marketing organisations and contributing around. Did quite a lot around regional tourism, right, um, right, right, and small brands and and, and picking those up. Um, one of the things I'll always remember from Tony was um, he said the problem with you know you marketing graduates is that you all want to come out and you want to create a new brand or you want to rebadge and you want to do something new. And he said, and the, and the consumer is actually quite familiar with the brand as it is right now. And when they walk in store and they see it on shelf, they recognize it and it's familiar and they buy it. And the problem is new marketing grads come through and keep changing it, so they can't find it. And, and he, described, um, he described brands as being like children. He said, everyone gets wildly excited about making them, but forget you've got to water and feed them for the next 20 years. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true, isn't it? And what about what about uh, we talk about uh, telecom? You know, you worked with some pretty pretty uh, stellar leaders there. What did you learn about, um, I suppose, business and the consumer there? Because your role there went from marketing into broader operations, didn't it? Yeah, and it, and it was and I moved from Lion, which was FMCG, into services marketing, um, and and it was interesting because. You know, people talked about FMCG as being fast-moving consumer goods. And what I learned was services move faster than physical goods. And Why? because we were, we were promoting phone calling. Mm. So we could, we could go out there with an ad and people could respond to that immediately. Right, right, right. You know, right. And this is way before e-commerce, but they didn't have to leave home in order to consume the product. Yes. Um, and we ran we ran the animals campaign, which was all about stimulating the emotive benefit that people get from being in touch with each other and encouraging people to make a call. And then we'd have a rational message about you should call now because the price is X. Mm. And, and there was, at the time, the public perceived the cost of calling to be materially higher than what it was. So you, you gave people the emotive benefit of calling, you reminded them of that, and then you highlighted that the price was less than what they thought it was. And you could look at your media schedule of when you ran your ads, and you could look at the calling data of when people made calls, and you could see the cause and effect relationship wow. Wow. directly. Um, and, and the thing that struck me was, you know, I'd spent the last few years thinking that F was fast, as in fast-moving consumer goods, yes. but relatively it was slow when I compared it to services. And, and that was back in the day before, you know, Google became the behemoth it is and Facebook. So, so you know, measurability and real-time data wasn't really a thing. No, and, and in fact, telecom in those days um, had more data than pretty much anyone else in the market just because of that ability to measure real-time consumption of the product. Mm. And... And, and the scale of the organization just meant there was so much data there. So, so what we had was, at the time, the organization made award-winning ads, um, but had some real science around the effectiveness that, that, that could be measured as well. It's, it's interesting because to your point earlier, you know, some things are worth measuring and others, others aren't, and there's a, it's a combination of the two that wins, right? Yeah. So, Kevin, this, this has been really interesting. Thank you. Um, look, the, the last question I have for you is if you had to give our listeners one piece of advice that they could take away in action tomorrow morning, what would that be? Well, I think for me, when I think about sales and marketing, and I, and I think of those together, mm. um, 
I think the important thing is to understand it's not what we say and it's not what we do, but it's how people feel that makes the difference. And so I think that um, when we can solve a customer's problem, when we can when we can make a brand available that helps people feel good about themselves, um, when you have an emotive reaction, then you're going to see results. And people, people will pay a premium for something that makes them feel good. Mm. Um, and so I think all the logic and the rationale, um, it's great to have that robustness of thinking, but that's not a great way to sell something and it's not a great way to build brands. So making sure you've got the emotional connection is the key. Yeah, and 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 I, and I look at um, the great brands, and, and 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 you look at them in the marketplace, and you go, that made me feel something. I, th- I think you know, um, you know, Lotto has a history of being a great advertiser and with great branding, and and I think that when they're at their best, you look at one of their ads and you feel something, and that feeling leads you to take action and to do something. Fantastic. Kevin, thank you. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. And if it's IT expertise you're after, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. See you next time.